Welcome to Glass Onion Minute. I am your host, Austin Pryor, and my guest for the week is Leandra Lynn. This is minute number 58. Our minute runs from zero hours, 57 minutes and zero seconds, all the way up to zero hours, 57 minutes, 59 seconds, and 24 frames. This minute starts with a little chuckle from Duke after his victory over Andy, uh, followed quickly by the return of Benoit and Miles. Miles, who then spends most of the minute trying to rebuild the party vibe and get things going again until he's, inf- until he's informed of some good news that is not yet revealed by Duke. Uh, so it's kind of, yeah, bookended by Duke. So we're in a very kind of Duke-heavy minute because we're both such huge fans of Dave Bautista and are very <laughs> convinced by his acting ability, I think. He's so <laughs> there on screen, mm, mm. just taking up that space <laughs> like a real actor. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I definitely will come to that. Actually, no, let's jump into that because this is part of this minute, is when I was talking about possible dodgy acting moments, um from Batista, I really only think of this one coming up because I, I think he's quite good in this movie. I definitely have a higher opinion of his, his performance than than your good self. Uh but he <laughs> um but this is this is the minute where he starts saying, I I, I knew yeah my googs are just blowing up. Um my views uh views on my channel are just off the charts. And uh so but of course, when he says that without revealing anything from later minutes, there is another layer there where that's a performance within a performance. Duke smiling. There it is. There's my guy. What's going on? You look like you got good news. I was wondering why my goobs are blowing up. The views on my channel are off the charts. You got to see this. Oh! This is uh, all over the internet. So I think... I'm I'm going to go ahead and give him the benefit of the doubt and say that because this is the only moment that I see in the movie where his his acting falls to this kind of like feeble level like like actually like sub functioning kind of acting um where he's like very <laughs> self-consciously kind of moving his hand going yes you know I think he's doing that on purpose I think Dave Bautista is doing that on purpose because his character is in that moment coming up with this excuse to call miles over miles over um so so i actually quite like this moment and the first time i watched it i thought like oh that was a bit dodgy and then um and then it does make sense it makes sense in in the context which we'll which we'll talk about uh on friday but um but yeah uh so but i think for you it seems this isn't the only minute only moment you're you're seeing this much more throughout I honestly think this is a very good movie for him in general. Okay. Uh, there were just a couple of bits that I'm like, oh, this isn't so great. Yeah. I, I recently saw him in Knock at the Cabin, and okay. that was very not good. Uh, so at least compared to that, uh, I thought that there were a lot of strong choices. And I think that you're right that uh, that this minute in particular we're looking at not Dave Batista uh-huh. uh, trying to figure out something on the fly, but yeah. Duke. Yes. Yeah. And- so I think it does. Uh, I think it does make sense. Of course, it's also the possibility that um, that Dave Batista just just had a bad take, and that Ryan Johnson thought that was right for the character and put it in. 
um, which is a perfectly legitimate thing. And every actor has bad takes, and and um, and uh, you know that's why uh, movies have multiple takes, and that's why plays have rehearsals, and and like because um, uh, yeah, because I I think like it's kind of the way an actor's on-screen performance is uh, made or broken by the editor and ultimately by the director because the director's directing the editor, uh, that, like, you know, the, the, the way the director is directing them on the set, because, like, if you're an actor... And I'm speaking from very, very little experience in this case, but um, just more understanding of movies that like you have to be able to take risks. And that includes being like uncomfortable and trying things out and and having a bad take and trying something and, and then, you know, moving on. And you if you're not able to do that and you're not able to let those defenses down, then maybe you'll like kind of keep a very kind of clean controlled performance but you're never going to give an inspiring performance if you're not you know what I mean let let loose and allowed to fail so that you try another take and try different things out if you put yourself in a little box uh, where the constraints are your boundaries then you can't really push past that yeah and it's so much easier for a director to reel an actor back in yes. than try and push them out of that comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. And I think when I watch, um, you know, TV acting, especially like network TV, that that's like I've, I've grown such an aversion to watching that style of acting. And I don't think these are bad actors. I don't think it's like, I think they're just working around the constraints, which is time constraints and... Um, script uh the, the script being you know pretty basic probably a lot of the time just thinking of like even very beloved shows like star trek the next generation or whatever or in the original series that like the acting style in those is like they don't have much rehearsal time they and they have to work with what they've got and they have to work within a box i think the way you're saying within within that box because um you know, Riker can just rely on his kind of set moves of, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the way he'll do his eyebrow, the way he'll deliver these lines. And quite there's, there's a lot of really flat delivery in those kind of shows. And, the, you know, you add a spark every now and then by like getting into a chair in a very weird way or something. <laughs> and uh, but like, I think it's like it's very tempting to call these people bad actors, but like they're acting, especially like extreme example would be soap opera, where you have to, like, you you've just been handed the script, you know, ten minutes ago, and you've got to learn learn these lines and suddenly shoot, and your only options are to do something like really arch and melodramatic, and you have to you have to rely on the style and rely on kind of stereotypes of of. Uh, you know what the audience is expecting and everything to to get by and uh it, it just now that we're spoiled from like the golden age of television i just find i kind of can't watch that stuff anymore you know i i will say on uh, in defense of the next generation um i think that as a crew as yeah. uh, as a team they really improved on that toward the end 
Yeah. Um, but you're right that it had much less to do with, uh, with their ability to, to get into the scene mm-hmm. and much more about their ability to, uh, to know, okay, I am playing Riker and, uh, and this is how he would normally react to this. I have my own kind of internal opinion on how that goes. Yeah. And, um, and it's okay that I can never sit normally because, <laughs> because that's just what Riker does. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I just like once, once you see it, you just can't unsee it. Um, it's, it's so good. Um, it's so good. Watch, uh, <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, just type, um, Riker sitting down into uh, into YouTube and uh, you'll see beautiful compilations of <laughs> amazing, amazing chair gymnastics that the guy has done. But um, but yeah, because because like, you know, I, it's fun to slag Jonathan Frakes. But what what he's doing is like adding bits of business, adding bits of pizzazz to, you know, what can be very drab acting. And, and of course, we don't we don't have those constraints here. This is film acting and there's multiple takes and um and i i doubt with the kind of actors who are working here and their schedules i doubt there was much rehearsal but i know on brick ryan johnson's first movies first movie he worked with that young cast of you know mostly then unknowns um and the budget for that film was counted in the thousands of dollars you know what i mean that he he um that they did loads of rehearsal for that movie so that they all went in not only with their lines off by heart, but just the, the whole dynamic, uh, the interplay between them. So this, um, and Ryan Johnson had the whole thing, um, uh, storyboarded. So he knew how he was going to frame every shot and everything. So you definitely wouldn't have that luxury with this kind of cast who are all so busy and wouldn't have the weeks of rehearsal beforehand. And, um, it'd be interesting to know if they did any, cause, um, I, I haven't read any mention of rehearsals. Well, this, not only do they have the constraints of their schedule, but this was in the middle of pandemic. Yeah, so they're working around all they, that. They likely were, uh, they likely had some table work virtually, but that's not quite the same thing. Yeah, probably better than nothing in terms of prep, but definitely not, you know, a, a pale imitation of um, real life rehearsal. But, um... Yeah, so there's this line here as Miles is trying to get everybody going um, and people are starting to walk away and Miles doesn't yet know about this um, atmosphere souring confrontation that has just happened with Andy. He just thinks everybody's (laughs) everybody's so sad because um, the murder mystery was ruined. (laughs) Whereas, Damn you, yeah. <laughs> whereas, if anything, people are relieved um, that they don't have to go through all those motions for the weekend, um, which gets me into like this idea of kind of forced fun and structured fun. <laughs> okay. Oh, jeez, detective. Your next assignment is who killed the party. What's that? Oh, Come on, guys. That just makes my skin crawl. Like, uh, I was, uh, as I mentioned, a singer in a wedding band for years, and um, we would see fun stuff that bride, brides and grooms had prepared. And if there's a spark to it and a sense of humor about it, it, it's a great thing to do. But wow, there were so many weddings where 
we were like, now we'll go outside and light the Chinese lanterns. And then everybody has to come back in and do this. And, and people just feel like robots. And, and especially an Irish uh, uh, wedding crowd. It just like, <laughs> I'm just here to chat and drink. I'm not here to do anything. It's like being shepherded and herded around. People, people hate it. So I can just imagine the cringe factor of like, you know, you, you plan your perfect party. I'll bring everyone to my amazing glass onion for the weekend and it'll be so cool. Everybody's like, he didn't stop to think that like, is Birdie really going to want to be solving a mystery? Is Claire going to like, I can't picture any and of these Duke. characters. Duke could be like so into the idea of it, but I don't think he'd be very good at it because Duke is like, the most enthusiastic about the premise you know he's just all right let's get this you know (laughs) mystery weekend started um but uh i think his his reach might exceed his grasp um but (laughs) but uh ruined my game it's okay hey alpha dj give us something upbeat but yeah it's um it it was never gonna go well you know (laughs) even as a fun weekend and uh and having to climb down from that because i know from bitter experience as a child of trying to you know having too much too many ideas in my head about what my birthday party was going to be like the 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 embarrassment of having to climb down from the planned activities and just like letting you know let's just play football or something you know (laughs) so i think that's what miles would have been facing i still haven't learned that occasionally (laughs) i get into my mind that i need to have like this big party uh last year i said i want to do christmas in july and i'm going to uh, I'm going to send out this survey to all of my friends on what they want to do, and I'll cut to the top three activities. And I I did all of this, and my friends just kind of went, okay, this is fine, you can do that. Um, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how did but it when go? When I got there, yeah. uh, it, it honestly went well, because the theater kids are very used to yes, uh, somebody enthusiastically along. going let's do this and they go okay they go yes and yes <laughs> and uh, it was the it was actually i rented out the same space that we used to do some theater so people were like oh it's kind of like a theater thing anyway and i'm like mm. yeah that that works um it's going to be fun there was a great uh, tradition in Ireland uh, in the in the like eighties and nineties. We had a the, the the kind of entertainment block after school was called the Den, and um, we've ended up talking a lot about the Den on um, Bat Minute um, in in my recent uh, guest spot there. And um, one tradition they had is every year Zig and Zag, the two puppet aliens who were who were the kind of um, the the entertainers there they would like keep the Christmas tree up and some years it was up till March and later and stuff, you know, and I would just, I loved it and I loved the, um, it, but it was like, there were letters to RTE, the national broadcaster about like, take down the Christmas tree because until Zig and Zag take it down, we can't take it down because my kids won't let me, you know, um, which I kind of, oh, that's amazing. I kind of really admire. But um, but anyway, no more talk of the den. Actually, no, that's never a promise <laughs> I'll make. Uh, I'll always bring up the den. But um, what we have when Miles is trying to get everybody back into doing the forced fun thing, he mentions... Miles, I'm going to be leaving in the morning. Yeah, me too. No, 
No, we're having a champagne brunch on the beach tomorrow. You're going to try foil surfing, and you're going to put some aloe on that and work on that tan and make your constituents say, what was she doing in lockdown? Bertie, come on, dance with me. Come on, pretty lady, get that smile up. Come on, come on. <laughs> Where's Andy? Yeah, where is Andy? Come on, where? hey. And in the script, it's the opposite. He's saying... He's saying, um, uh, you're going to put aloe on that, work on that tan, so your constituents aren't saying, what was she doing during lockdown? Uh, come on, guys, dance with me, pretty lady. So, so like, you can kind of see the logic of both of them, and I wonder how it got flipped, you know, because, like, changing little words here and there is one thing, but changing, like, the meaning to its opposite, because, like, but the one in the script kind of makes more sense because like if she has um if she has sunburn he, what miles is saying is that she, if she has sunburn people are going to be like uh were you off on a sun holiday during lockdown what were you doing we were we were all you know making sacrifices and not go, you know and so the pr and obviously there were real life pr nightmares during that time and um and so, but now he's going like, get a tan. So your constituents will be wondering, what was she doing during lockdown? Like, as in, wow, she's cool and dynamic and was off sunning herself when we were all, it's like, doesn't, doesn't really make much sense. I, my guess is that it started as a, uh, a bad take, like a, oh, uh, what I meant to say was, and yeah. then somebody yes and it and went, wait, no, yeah. go back. Yeah, because it is kind of a Miles, it, it is kind of an appropriate thing for Miles because he's like, he's so out of touch. He's like, constituents just be like, wow, what were you doing? You know, and um, where, where he's like, doesn't, isn't really thinking through that that would have, you know, serious ramifications potentially, you know. Um, but uh, But yeah, then he says to Lionel you're going to try foil surfing um which uh have you heard of this before so i had to look this up this no. is, it's short for hydrofoil surfing and this oh. minute is kind of in dialogue with minute all the way back to minute uh, 28 when Nay Renly and Drew Stewart were wondering like what does miles mean when he says i'm going to foil i'll see you at the pool and now we know that foil is short for Foil surfing and foil surfing is short for hydrofoil surfing. So just do me a favor and look up hydrofoil surfing just just while we're talking there and see if you can get a Google image. If you can get a video, all the better. But even just a Google image um, will will uh, sort you out because it's it's crazy how much this appears to uh, defy the laws of physics. Um, and have you seen the movie Tennis, Deandra? Uh, yes. So you, do you remember the oh, boat wow. race, the catamaran boat race that they go on where the boat just kind of raises out of the water in this strange gra gravity-defying way? So it's exactly the same principle. And I looked it up and kind of read a bit about the, the, the basics of the physics and like, okay, I get it. And a hydrofoil is basically the... the, the uh, an aerofoil that we're used to is is uh, the wing of a plane, for example, has like more lift than it does drag, so that it'll bring you up. And it's the same principle, but in water. So it's a it's an aerofoil instead of it's a hydrofoil instead of an aerofoil. But like, 
it, it still planes don't make me go what the hell is happening black magic no, i don't this believe, is you know cursed. this is it is cursed it, it looks so cursed and um so so what's happening is like basically there's this like the structure of basically a model model airplane but made of some metal or carbon fiber or whatever under the surfboard on a stalk that leads to the bottom of the surfboard and then you stand up and the and the hydrofoil like lifts the surfboard entirely up above the water and it is it's black magic i don't i don't believe the physics it's not it's i really not possible. hate it yeah <laughs> i'm looking but, at a video now and i'm like no please don't <laughs> please stop this is not it's not godly it would be great if you didn't <laughs> so so that's yeah so that's hydrofoil surfing but it's like it looks genuinely like a really good time like i i want to be up on that thing uh, i also would be very scared but but it looks cool but it also looks like something that um a jerk billionaire would love because it's kind of it has a it has a wow factor that that's uh, surfing now seems like old hat you know what i mean um although like it doesn't unlike the the crazy catamaran hydrofoil elite racing in tennis it doesn't seem like it would actually cost that much more than a normal surfboard you know what i mean i don't it's not the reserve of of um billionaire elites but it's a it, it also feels like a very miles brown thing i can imagine you know what i mean it it, it, it works um so, but I wonder if there was any, it's such a throwaway remark. I mean, it is in the movie twice, but you have to look it up to know what it is. And I wonder, was there ever a plan to have a foil surfing scene? Because tennis came out during like lockdown and, and stuff on it. And it was, it, its delay was released so many times, but I think the movie was finished already. So I, I don't know, it would kind of seem like if you did put it in, it would, the, the the two came around so close together that it would i think seem like a reference or a you know to, a nod to tenet so um they probably didn't have the budget to put it in it either you know what i mean it just uh and where would you fit it but i do i do kind of think like hmm he's 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 mentioned foil surfing twice in this movie did he want to put it in or both uh, both of them, uh, both the directors, just uh, sat at their computer and typed, what do rich people like to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this was like 15th on the list, and they're like, wow, that yeah. sounds awful. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so to you, like, you're saying it looks cursed and you don't want it. Uh, do you mean, like, from the laws of physics point of view, or do you mean, like, it doesn't look like fun to you, you wouldn't want to do it? I, well, it's a little bit of both. I'm a bit of a stick in the mud. I don't, uh, I'm like terrified of heights and I'm terrified of going too fast and things like that. Okay. Uh, so serving, surfing in general isn't really exciting for me, but this, this seems like going too fast on water and you're too high. And I, <laughs> so your, like your fear kind of, of heights combined with your awful. fear of speed. Yeah yeah <laughs> that's amazing yeah. this isn't great yeah for me like i would just uh, I, it would just take me so long to kind of learn i learn that stuff and i'm not a sporty type or, or whatever but if you if you could turn this into like a an on rails kind of uh 
a roller oh, coaster fair. experience, I'd be way up for it. You know what I mean? Just just like to have have the machine do the work for me, and uh, and I get to like zoom around on the water with this uh, with with this crazy hovering uh, yeah effect going on. Um, yeah. So just looking at the other um, moment, it's like there's no music on uh, when Miles walks in. And you have to kind of track it back because movies are very good at, at, at like making us notice music when they want and not notice it when they don't want. Because what happened in yesterday's minute is that the song, the, the Toots and the Maytals, uh, the John Denver cover, um, it just kind of fades out as Duke is starting his like dark monologue and in comes the score. And apart from that first moment where there's like a discord between the score and the song, the score doesn't really draw much attention to itself. And then it just kind of finishes as that scene finishes. And now we're in silence and that works for this minute where the minute is all about, Oh, the party's dead. So I guess we got to the end of a playlist, uh, but it's kind of like, you know, the way Alpha DJ would work. Obviously, Alpha DJ is the, his fictional version of Spotify or whatever. So it, um, so I guess you get away with like, oh, I guess the playlist ended. But like modern stuff is all autoplay. So it just does not stop unless you explicitly tell it to stop. Um, so, but obviously I only noticed that going through this movie minute by minute. Um, so it's a bit of um, a movie cheat, but that's fine. So so he calls upon Alpha DJ to give him something, something, what does he say? Something upbeat? I think so. Yeah. And Alpha DJ uh, chooses, presumably based on some algorithmic understanding of uh, Miles's tastes, gives a star by david bowie um which i have to confess i didn't really recognize um i've definitely heard it because i've heard the album um do you know this song yes i'm a big david bowie fan though so yeah cool well i mean i i consider myself a bowie fan but i guess this i i don't actually listen to the albums all that often and this is uh from from uh ziggy stardust which is like one of the albums i know the least even though i i think it's because it's such a huge famous album i kind of go yeah yeah, yeah i get it i know all that um but in my research the only notable thing about this or if you do wikipedia level research uh which is all i was prepared for um is that it's remarkable only only in that it is one of the two songs on that album that don't have a wikipedia entry so so it's remarkable for being not remarkable um but i did get see some other stuff written about it um so uh so is what do you think of this song i ziggy stardust is actually one of my favorite david bowie albums just because i grew up listening to it my dad used to play a bunch of david bowie stuff when i was much younger like a toddler yeah um and this was uh this was one that had a lot of fun songs that if you don't really listen to the lyrics they're they're kind of uh, upbeat and fun and you can kind of as a toddler jump around to it absolutely yeah yeah and I mean, even if you do read the lyrics, it's like it's still, yeah, they're 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 such they're such fun um, kind of songs. And uh, yeah, this does look like fun to dance to. And I would, uh, I, if I came on at a party, I would be inclined to to get up and move. 
but yeah, so it's it's really kind of the meaning of the words and everything are about stardom and it's about fame and um, it's it, it it all obviously the concept album it plays into it being about uh, Ziggy himself, but it's also about there's lots of other kind of little references to even like politics and there's possibly a reference to the establishment of the nhs and stuff and so the 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 vibe seems to be the um that like the real way to make a difference (laughs) in the culture is to be a star and it's actually kind of um glorifying stardom and fame and and being a larger than life personality in in a surprisingly straightforward way, if my interpretation is correct, you know what I mean. I, I think it is. Yeah, because there's a quote from Bowie here, and he says, uh, "I believe in fantasy and star." No, I'm not going to do the voice. I believe in fantasy and star images. <laughs> I am very aware of these kinds of people and feel they are very important figures in our society. People like to focus on somebody who they might consider not quite the same as them. Whether it's true or not is immaterial, he says. Uh, he said that in, in the Cheltenham Chronicle in 1971. And um, that's really interesting because I think in today's world, if you're going to sing a song about a rock and roll star and that's how you change the world and that's how you make your mark in the universe, it would have to have some level of irony and some kind of self-awareness in it. You know what I mean? Um, because... Or at least from an artist like him, you know, um, because it's too kind of f- flatly, uncritically in praise of stardom and stuff. And I definitely think, like, to whatever extent Ryan Johnson is thinking about those lyrics and what they mean, he's definitely adding um, uh, irony to it here because, you know it's about fame and it's Miles Braun and we're not exactly flattering these billionaires and these like superstar CEOs. It's definitely, I I think really cool that this very superficial song is playing around these ostensibly very superficial people. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that's very clever use of the background music. Yeah. And at the same time, it's, very classic rock, very credible, safe music that nobody's called. Nobody's going to call you uncool for listening to it. So it's like Miles is safe. He's okay. Alpha DJ has not embarrassed him by playing some, you know, unhip thing or whatever. Because it's like, it's it's like David Bowie, unassailable classic. You know. Yeah. No Rebecca Black for, <laughs> for Miles. Yeah, yeah. But it, but of course, if if it, if Alpha DJ had chosen Rebecca Black, Miles would have had to, you know build up uh, configure exactly how much irony he was having and tell you know to contextualize it for everybody which would kind of be fun to watch as well um because because <laughs> uh, we do see him kind of squirm sometimes like that you know and i know you guys think i'm a hippie and blah 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 um yeah so um what else have we got in this minute any more um observations from yourself um, just the one thing that I thought was interesting was Claire Catherine Hahn. Uh, in this minute, uh, you see that she is far drunker than I think either she is the character or the audience uh, realizes. Yeah. And uh, it just 
two days ago we were talking about how she had kind of reached her breaking point and that was was yelling at Andy. So yeah. I I think that it's interesting that uh, that even to this point she's kind of lost steam and she's like, Wow, I I'm sorry, I'm actually pretty trashed. Yeah, yeah. And I think she's kind of emotionally trashed and uh yeah, the the um the shine has gone off this whole weekend and we're at this downer kind of moment. And um but we are about to go into this kind of rising action section and we're coming closer to the to the split that exists in this movie where we will, you know, kind of uh yeah, we won't, I won't even say it. Um, <laughs> but we're co- coming closer to that moment of change. And I- into this, we're going to build up towards that. So we- we'll get a little bit of that in um, our two remaining minutes. Yes, so it's Wednesday. And my Wednesday question for you is your thoughts, anticipation, and ideas about uh, what the third Benoit Blanc mystery might entail. I, I'm just really excited that it's happening. Um, I, I know that there's, it's unlikely that they're going to have any reason to revisit any of the previous characters. However, however, um, I was reading through an article and I know Joseph Gordon-Levitt had a like very small on, uh, on the TV in the first, uh, in the first Benoit it, film, it, yeah, sort of thing. And is he play? He's playing a fictional character, though, isn't he? He's 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 right. doing. It's a cop show or something that they're watching, and it's it's some like, it's it's when Marta and her family are in the kitchen, and there's some awful but gory details being discussed by cops and stuff. But there's a possibility that they would, uh, they would focus in on either actors in that TV show or maybe just uh, the the actor that he's playing within that. Uh, so I think that that's at least a possibility. I know that he's a, a bit of a the returning fan, uh, fan favorite. And yeah. Uh, yeah I'm interested cause... to see if that's where it's going to go. Because JGL or, or Jiggle, as I like to call him, is in every... <laughs> uh, Ryan Johnson film, uh, along with Noah Segan, um, uh, but in in usually some some small way, and um, yeah, and in this one, of course, he's the Daily Dong, and uh, uh, yeah, he went into the recording studio to record one word, you know, but um, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, he's the Dong. He's the Donger, <laughs> and so he yeah. So that would be interesting. But that that really feels like a kind of a fan theory to me of like you know uh, that like oh well just gordon levitt was in this and so what's our way to bring him in in an in-universe way and i think it's like the preoccupation of our time with like connected universes and making things kind of fit and um and of course it it is a connected universe it's not like an anthology series where they're not where they're totally separate stories uh because of course benoit blanc is the same is the same person throughout but while i do have that kind of nerd gene that makes me you know crave <laughs> that interconnected tissue i i do think it's 
I do think we're better off if we kind of stay away from that. Now, that's a very small one. That wouldn't distract from the movie at all. That'd be like a fun little Easter egg. Oh, did you know that in the first movie he can be heard on the background in the red? You know, that that's kind of, fun, you know. But, um, but in general, <clears throat> connecting with other movies, like a lot of people are speculating about what a third one could be would be talking about like, oh, the case with the ballerina or the case with the tennis pro um, that's, that have been referenced. And it's like, every time you explain one of them or tell one of those stories, you're, you're shrinking and flattening this world. You know, they're like the whole appeal of those lines is that they just paint in something off to the side, outside, outside the frame, outside the time, time frame of the film that like, oh, there's other stuff going on. And it's like, so then you'll have to put in new lines that suggest that there's other stuff. And then somebody else will come along and say, let's flatten that and make that smaller. And then, you know, and I just think, uh, I, in a way, I suppose you could view that as a kind of constructive tension where, you know, <laughs> somebody is um, coming along and expanding and somebody else is contracting. But, but in this case, it's all one, it's all controlled by one person. Um, so it's all about what Ryan Johnson will or won't allow. Um, have you seen the, uh, crossover with the Muppets that I think two separate, uh, people have done? Uh, no, and not, not as an actual crossover was done. Sorry. I just, oh. I just, for, I got very excited. For, yeah. For the viewers, uh, 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 for the listeners at home who are not viewers, Leandra's face really lit up and I felt really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really bad having to break it to her. Uh, there's still there's two fun videos on YouTube. One by some anonymous person. Um, well, sorry, one by somebody's great YouTube channel, and I'm sure they're great, and I'm not knocking them. But but the other one is by Nerdist, and I think maybe Nerdist ripped off the other one. But they they both just use footage of Muppet movies and footage of Benoit Blanc movies. And intercut them and make it seem like he's there with them and, and that there's a Muppet. And that got back to Ryan Johnson and he like he has he has said that he like seriously considered it. And he's like, I didn't, you know, it's like I really looked into this because he as soon as he saw it, he got he's he, you know, he, he was implying basically from what I gathered that that he had the same feelings as a lot of the fans would of like, oh, I can see how that would work. But he sat down and tried to work out you know what a good Muppet movie is and what a good Benoit Blanc movie is which obviously he has a good handle on already um and he says he just can't work out how it would work you know you would be you would please neither camp by by it would have to compromise you know the 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 world of a Muppet movie is fundamentally absurd and silly and there's no big consequences and the and the world of Benoit Blanc has a lot of humor in it but the fundamentals have to be that it's deathly serious and it's like um but i still think it would make it would make a great sketch or a great like short they could even do it like a b movie like a short before the main movie the next muppet movie that comes out or the next Benoit Blanc movie that comes out could have a little 5 minute i'm just saying you know there's there's still potential there let me suggest to you yeah a very benoit muppet christmas nice talk me through it give me your give me your pitch I, okay <laughs> uh, and i'm just thinking this up on the fly of so course. if yes, it doesn't man. make sense you're 
yeah just, if it doesn't make sense i'll come up I'll, I'll pitch in with it with a with a yeah, yeah let, let's yes and this exactly um it's very much uh uh, they're, the, it's on the scene of a Muppet Christmas Carol, okay. and uh, and somebody uh, somebody falls over and dies, and Benoit Blanc uh, walks in and he's like, "I do declare that <laughs> I think that this Muppet is dead," uh, something <laughs> stupid like that, and That's it's just uh, they they've added Daniel Craig just into the background of Muppet Christmas Carol, <laughs> just I love going. It pretend i'm not here yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> and they just <laughs> i i would and you could die laughing you could you could back to the future to it where where he would you know you would show scenes that we're familiar with from uh muppet christmas carol and have him in there or have have those scenes kind of going on in the background and benoit is is trying to talk to the you know the sound recorders while he's trying to work or something and and yeah yeah you could have moments like that with uh Oh, oh! I can see it. I can see it now. But but yeah, so if it was the so death bad. of a, but but yeah, but the whole thing would be even though it would be a movie set, you would still not admit that the Muppets are puppets. You would just see them as actors, which is like that. That's the kind of the rule established in Muppet movies that it's like we often admit that it's a movie, but we never admit that we're not living creatures. You know, so that would be yeah. You would double down on that, and you would make sure that it's like. Benoit taking the lives of a Muppet completely seriously and and yeah yeah that'd be that'd be how to do it because because like it would have to happen in the Muppet universe yes because it would just make no sense to have it happen in the Benoit Blanc universe so it would like if you know in in our in our nerd age we have to talk about it in terms of canon it would be like it could be a canonical Muppet movie it could not be a canonical Benoit Blanc mystery because it would have to have to have, to have a world where felt puppets were living beings yeah. <laughs> and I think that 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 choosing an established Christmas film Theme. makes yeah. a lot of sense because that we that there's already so much just suspension of disbelief for Christmas holiday specials like the Chewbacca yeah, um, yeah. Star Wars special. Like the, the, nobody, nobody thinks that that would have actually happened, but it is fun. Yeah. People love that. Yeah. I mean, it's fun if you don't have to sit through actually watching it. it it's fun oh, to think yeah. about. The concept. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Let me, yeah. let me rephrase. <laughs> yeah. The idea of there the, being a, a Star Wars holiday special is fun um the uh the sitting through it is uh I've, I've never managed to do it i think i've seen all of it but i've never managed to sit down and watch it beginning to end. yeah <laughs> the only thing that would make that worse is if the rock was in it Way! Uh, bringing hey, it back there. bringing it back to the rock okay um <laughs> before it goes completely off the rails and i give my um my pitch for how to to reboot the uh, star wars holiday special we will leave it there and uh and i will say to you leandra um anything else anything you want to plug uh yeah just the same stuff as yesterday i uh, i really want people to go to rockyhorrorminute.com and uh, check us out or uh, try and, and did you how, how far did you get into that movie did you get we're we're still it, working on it <laughs> um yeah well i mean i'm the same i'm you know malkovich malkovich minute minute is like i have not you know, admitted defeat and said it won't come back. I was like, you know, uh, so where whereabouts are you in it? 
We're about halfway through. It is 100 minutes long, so we're at like minute 48. And we have several recorded that I just need to edit and send out into the universe. Same here. Good stuff. <laughs> so um, it would be, yeah, so I presume if you got a nice... Uh, a nice burst of subscribers and got uh, some interesting engagement online that would help spur you on uh, to, to do that. Um, <laughs> and uh, so where would they go on Twitter for that show? Uh, that is at Rocky Horror Men. Or if you just want to go all old school, you can email us at RockyHorrorMinute.com or RockyHorrorMinute at gmail.com. Good stuff. Um, great, and listeners can connect with this show on Twitter at Glass Onion Min, all one word. And if you can rate, review, and make sure you're subscribed on your podcatcher of choice, that would be cool too. Bye for now, and be sure to come back tomorrow for another Glass Onion Minute.